I want you to close your eyes. What do you see? Don't tell me, it's just a rhetorical question. What do you see? For some of you, you might see darkness. For others, you might have just got a picture that God just showed you. For others, you might be thinking of that burger that Jamie was wanting. Yeah. What do you see? Let me tell you what I see. I shared this a couple of months ago. I see a church, not just one church, the church of Jesus Christ in unity across the city. I see a church that seats were once empty and now full. I see a church that's bursting at the seams because there's not enough room and there's people just wanting to get in. That's not one church, that's all churches. I see the name of Jesus being uplifted and I see the power of His Holy Spirit at work. I see daily salvations, as it says in Acts chapter 2, that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, to prayer and to singing hymns. And the Lord added to their number daily those whom would believe. Do you see daily the conversations that you have sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ and seeing people saved? I see a church in action. I see a church that is empowered as they step out in faith. I see young people gathering around their flagpole in their school, praying, starting with two people. Two becomes four and four becomes eight. As the Holy Spirit moves and takes effect in their, in their schooling, bullying ceases. Love becomes the order of the day. Not a fake love, but a genuine love because it's connected to love himself. I see schools transformed not because of education or discipline, not because of the love of a teacher, but because of the love of God our working through people who would believe, who would have the tenacity to step out in faith. You see, workplaces that, that would be found out, those who are not doing the right thing, they would be found out and conviction would come upon them and their hearts would break. And as the storm comes against their life, they would give their life to Jesus and they would find that the only unshakable thing in their life is Christ, their cornerstone. See, no matter what happens, I see a picture that God will move upon the lives of all people because He promised in Joel that I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh. I'm quite literal when I read that Scripture that God's saying all. If you want to look it up, Joel chapter 2. I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh. So I see... God moving through love. I see God moving through the heavy hand of the law. I see God moving through business people who will stand and rise to the challenge. I see politics coming under the rulership of God. All because some would dare to dream. I have a dream. How about you? I have a dream that we will move forward. Amen. How do we do so? Do we do so with a vision? Do we do so with a dream? Or do we do so with the conviction of God upon our life that says, I will move into whatever God has called me to do?
I've conversations with most of you here, especially the young ones over the few years. And even though I'm not running youth anymore, the, the, the conversations I'm hearing, I hear missionary. I'm going to go and serve God. I hear, I want to be a chaplain. I hear, I just want to go and share the gospel. I hear, you know, I want to bring my family up in the, the word of God. I hear pray, prayer warriors and worshipers. I hear people that say that want to serve God. This is not something small. This is something they want to devote their life to. You see, God's moving. And we're all on board. That's why you're here at 7 o'clock on a Sunday night. You could be at home watching a movie, eating pizza, have your feet up on the couch. But you see, you're here because you're hungry for God. I see 60 people hungry for God. I see 100 people hungry for God. I see this night growing to full, hungry from God. Why? Turn to Ezekiel 37. Everyone know where Ezekiel is? It's one of those prophets in the Bible, in the Old Testament. If you had my Bible, I'd tell you a page number, but you don't, so I'm sorry about that. But Ezekiel 37 is an amazing passage of Scripture. Can I read it to you? you? Give me the privilege. Ezekiel 37 and verse 1. The hand of the Lord came upon me and brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley and it was full of bones. Then he caused me to pass by them all around and behold, there were very many in the open valley and indeed they were very dry. So they were very dry bones. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? So I answered, O Lord God, you know. It's a very good answer, isn't it? If God spoke to you and said, Can these bones live? How would you respond? By all means, God, let them live. <laughs> or would you be as diplomatic as Ezekiel when he says, uh, you, Lord, no. Again, he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, surely I will cause breath to enter into you and you shall live. I will put sinews on you and bring flesh upon you, cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. It's a pretty good thing to do, what God tells you to do, isn't it? I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a noise and suddenly a rattling of the bones as they came together bone to bone. Indeed, as I looked, the sinews and the flesh came upon them and the skin covered them over. But there was no breath in them. Also, he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God. Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath came into them. And they lived and stood upon their feet, an exceedingly great army. 
Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They indeed say our bones are dry, our hope is lost, and we ourselves are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up from your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. Then you shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up from your graves. Interesting passage of Scripture. It goes from this valley where the army of the Lord had been slain and all of a sudden God starts talking about graves. <laughs> you will know me when I open the graves. Isn't that interesting? I don't know the significance of that, but I can assume some things. But I want to focus on a couple of things. There's a play on words here. How many times do you see the word breath in that scripture? There's a few times, isn't there? Prophesy to these dry bones. So he prophesied and then he says they had no breath. I won't answer it. I was going to answer it. It was great. I was going to answer it and say, why are you not at church? <laughs> anyway, it's cool. Um, prophesy, but yet they had no breath. Prophesy to the breath and tell it to come from the four corners of the earth. What is to prophesy? It is to speak forth the words and oracles of God. Speak on behalf of God and tell the breath to enter into these dry bones and they will live. Interesting. This word breath in the Hebrew is the word ruah. And I say it's a play on words is because this can be translated in a number of different ways. It can be translated into the word breath. It can be translated into the word life. Or another one is the word spirit. Very much the same word that's used when God breathes his spirit into the clay that he molded Adam from. He breathes the breath of life into Adam and Adam comes to life. It's the same passage, the same parallel, but yet a very different picture. Prophesy to the breath and command it to come in. How are we going? Am I nearly time to give you the vision or what? Good. Make sure you tell me. He says to Ezekiel, Holy Spirit, come, breathe your life on me. Not just on me, but upon these dry bones. May they rise up into the fullness of what you've called them to do. Holy Spirit, come. Speak to the breath. Prophesy to the breath. Verse 12. You will know, or therefore, prophesy and say to them, Thus says the, God, the Lord God, Behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up from your graves and bring you into the land of Israel little segue for you. Let's turn to Matthew 27. Matthew 27. Those of you who are astute amongst us would realize that this is around the time Jesus died. It's the end of Matthew. Matthew chapter 27. Verse 57. It's recorded. Now when evening had come. Nope. 
back a little bit further. I think it's 53. 52. 51. Let's start there. 51. Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. We know the passage. The veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. This 12-inch thick curtain was rent from the top to the bottom, ripped apart. That which was separating God from man was torn from top to bottom because of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Sometimes we just stop there for a moment without reading what it says next. And the earth quaked and the rocks were split. And the graves were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. How funky would that be? My phone's ringing again. How funky would that be? First of all, the temple curtain is torn in two, a feat that no man could do. Then the earth shakes, the, 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 the sky becomes black, the earth shakes, the graves are split open, and the dead are raised to life, and they walk amongst the living. Sounds like something of a movie, but it's not. It's the Word of God. And we miss this point. I think this is one of the fulfillments of the word of Ezekiel. You will know that I am God when the dead are raised and they walk amongst you. A very practical application. You will know that I am God. Hmm. I reckon if I was in Jerusalem at that time, I would have been freaking out that these saints were walking before me. Yeah? I don't know about you, but I would have been. Anyway, that was a little segue for you. Because I want you to see that God's word comes true. I want you to see that when God tells us to prophesy to the breath, when he spoke to the Son of Man, who Ezekiel was called, when he spoke to him and said, Son of Man, speak to the breath, command it to come in from the four winds. He was speaking that of which was life, which was the Holy Spirit. And that which was a vision, that which was a dream, became reality after the death of Jesus Christ. John chapter 20, verse 19. Are we on board? We know what's going on. I haven't lost you at all. Good. Time to sh- tell the vision. All right, let me read this scripture. John chapter 20. Probably works in good time. Verses 19 to 23. John 20. Then the same day at evening, before, uh, sorry, then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, When the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. Remember this morning, if you were here this morning, and a lot of you were, I was talking about, are we going to go out and share the gospel? or Are we going to assemble in our little buildings and remain fearful that something's going to happen? This is what's going on here in John chapter 20, as the disciples, in fear of their life, they're assembled, huddled, because their Savior was dead. And now he's, been, he's risen, he's gone, but they don't know where he is. Jesus comes to them and says, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. They believed. 
So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Have you ever seen that passage of Scripture before? Is it weird that Jesus would breathe on the eleven? And those that were in the room with them? Is that weird to you? When Jesus says he breathed on them. When the book Bible says that Jesus breathed on them and says what? Receive the Holy Spirit. I want to suggest that when Jesus breathes, there is, there is a prophetic voice in his breath. You know what that means? That is direct from God himself. Jesus breathes upon the, the disciples and he says, receive the spirit. He's speaking to them about life. Receive life like the dry bones. Now I'm preaching to the converted here. This is your conversion moment. This is for the disciples before this point. They were following a rabbi. Now they're infilled with the Holy Spirit and brought into salvation by the very breath of Jesus himself, the Son of the living God. This is their born-again moment. This is the moment that they step into, that they not only believe, but they receive the seal of sonship on their life. And yet it's a similar word, this word to breathe. My... my uh, my vision, yeah? Okay. God showed me, it was, it's hard to say, it's not really a vision, it's a more of a, a word that sort of just was dropped into my heart as Jamie was praying. And it was a word of grief that I believe the Holy Spirit was grieved. And he wants me just to share this. We were singing the creed, this I believe, or I believe. And we're singing about, I believe in God the Father. I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe in the Holy Spirit. My God in is three in one. Remember, we were singing that? Our God is three in one. I'll sing it and you would remember it. Throughout times in history, there's division in the Bible, Right? first division in the Bible is the simplest one, the Old and the New Testament. We understand that the New Testament was written to reveal the coming... The Old Testament was revealed, written to reveal the coming Christ. And then the New Testament is the, what's happened after Jesus has come and the outworking of the New Covenant. But God just said there's three distinct times in history. One of them is being outplayed now. The first distinct time was the people of God. They worshipped God. He had his various names that you can look up in Scripture and you can understand who God was and they told you the facets of who God was. But it was God. Throughout the Scriptures you will see that the angel of the Lord came and that was revealing Jesus. And the Holy Spirit came upon people and they did miraculous work. So we see the three in one in the Old Testament at work. Yet, the major focus of the Old Testament was that we serve a holy God. Yep. Clear, isn't it? Then we look into the New Testament, and it's the revelation of His Son by whom we are saved. 
The revelation of His Son by whom we call Abba Father. It's that sense that because of what Jesus did and the seal of the Spirit in my life, I'm able to cry out to God. But the focus is upon Jesus, isn't it, in the first four Gospels? And this is the bit that God said in that split moment. He said, we're now in the time of the Spirit, but yet we're not honoring the Spirit. And I said, God, what do you mean? It was in that split second. I said, God, what do you mean? And he said to me, this is, I'm relaying in a way that you can understand it, but it was that quick. He's just gone. This is how quick it was. He said, the Jews were so devout to defending their God that they killed the followers of the Son. I went, yeah, that's right. And he said, the followers of the Son have become so devout that they're starting to ridicule and kill the followers of the Spirit. But I'm one God. I am three in one. When you worship God, you're worshiping God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit. And the revelation is that the Holy Spirit has been given to reveal the Son, to reveal the Father, and to lead us into this understanding that we are saved by grace because of the one God. And yet churches are fighting over whether they're worshipping Jesus or worshipping the Holy Spirit. And it's the same God. It's the same God. And one expression does not negate the other. They actually need to be celebrated because they need to come together for the full understanding of who God is. We're in a time of the Spirit. Jesus breathed on these disciples. And then he says this. You want to turn there and have a look? No. I'll sit. No, yeah, turn there and have a look. Luke 24. He said this just before he breathed on them. Get your history right, Stevie. Luke chapter 24, 49. This is what Jesus said. In the same moment, sort of the time that he's opening the scriptures to these people and he's breathing the spirit upon them and he's giving them new life. He says, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. The very voice of Jesus, the very words that came from Jesus, was to wait for the gift of the Father, which was the Holy Spirit. And yet, I hear churches fighting over what's right, what's wrong. I read in the media. I read in the, in the, in the social media. I read uh, people just pulling other church believers down because of their expression of faith. And I, ha- I just felt the grief of God upon my life right in that moment. Because He's one God, yet three persons. And Jesus, you look at John chapter 14, 15, 16, 17, He's revealing the Father. He's revealing the Father. It's a new concept to the Jews. It was a new concept to those who were following Him. He's revealing God as Father. And then God reveals Christ to them. And in that moment, He breathes upon them and they receive new life. Jesus reveals the Father. The Father revealed Christ. And in doing so, He breathed life. Pentecost. 
Let's talk about that a little bit. Luke chapter 3. That's a funny scripture, Steve. Luke chapter 3, 16. You thought I was going to go John 3.16, didn't you? Luke chapter 3.16 says, John answered, saying to all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Hmm. Luke 11.13 says, if you then being evil, this is Jesus' words, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Ezekiel's been told to prophesy to the wind, to prophesy to the breath, to call in the Spirit of God. And here Jesus is telling us to ask for good gifts. How much more? Will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Have we got a good Father? How do we know that? Many of us sitting here might read the Old Testament and we might think that God was a little bit of a bloodthirsty God. I don't believe that. But there was some bloodshed in the Old Testament. Sacrifices, wars, all those sorts of things. We know God is good because of the revelation of Jesus. Yep. When we come to faith in Jesus, we understand God's goodness. We understand that He is good and that He promises good gifts. Who's ever received a dud gift from God? No. All God's gifts are good. They're also irrevocable, just so you know that. If we ask for the Spirit, our God, our Papa, who is a good Father, will give us the Spirit. A couple of verses before that, Jesus says, If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks him for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts your children how much more will your heavenly father give the holy spirit to those who ask him luke 23 it's a good book luke isn't it luke chapter 23 do you know luke is the most researched book written about jesus luke uh, the doctor he was and he was also a great historian has gone right into researching who Jesus was, interviewing eyewitnesses to those who were there. And like any good interviewer, he gets the right message, the right story, and he records true history. Luke writes in 23, verse 49. I've already read this, I think. Nope. Maybe I have. Oh, that's the wrong one. 2449 I thought I'd read it behold I send the promise of my father upon you but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high he tells the disciples 
who had just received the very breath of the Holy Spirit from Jesus to wait in the city to receive. Has that ever spun your thinking out? He's telling those who have received to wait to receive. Is that weird? He's just breathed upon them the Holy Spirit. And yet he's telling them to wait in Jerusalem, to tarry in Jerusalem to receive the Holy Spirit. What's going on here? Two separate experiences. Two separate things are happening. First of all, this is what we believe as a Pentecostal church. That Jesus in that moment breathed life into them, the breath of life which was the Spirit of God, rejuvenating, rebirthing the Spirit of God within them. Rebirthing that which was Adam's loss in the garden through sin. That was their born-again moment, their born-again experience. If you have received Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you have repented from your sin, if you have said, God, I want, don't want to live that way, I want to live with you as the Lord of my life, and everything I am, I give to you. In that very moment, Jesus breathes the breath of life into your life and you receive the Holy Spirit, which is the seal of your sonship into the kingdom of God. Paul talks about that in the sense that now you can cry out, Abba, Daddy, God, and he will respond to you as his son. That's an inclusive term, girls, all right? That's a good term. You want to be a son of God, all right? Okay. That's... That in that very moment, you become a son of God. So the disciples are now in this predicament. They're not just followers of Jesus. They're now disciples of Jesus who are filled with the Spirit of God and saved. But yet the Holy Spirit is promised to them. And 10 days later, in the upper room in Jerusalem, and you can read this in Acts chapter 2, 10 days later, Jesus has ascended upon high. And 10 days later, they're up in the room, 150 of them, and they're praying. Praying, praying, praying. They don't know what to do. But when you're told to wait, you do something. It's not like waiting in a doctor's surgery where you just start flicking through a magazine and fall asleep, pull your phone out and look on social media. It's waiting actively. It's actually doing something. They were actively waiting. Peter was searching the Scriptures. I'm sure the others were as well. And they were praying to God. They didn't know what this promise was. They thought, I believe they thought that they had the Holy Spirit. But yet Jesus is saying, you're going to receive power from on high. Two very distinct pictures. You want to know what happens there? Let's turn there. Acts chapter 2. And then I'll... Finish up for us, eh? I've spoken long enough. Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost had come, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Let me ask you a question. Are we in one accord tonight? Are we here in unity, found in the faith in Jesus Christ? Are we pushing on and wanting all that God has? Remember that dream I said? What's your dream? Are you seeing what God wants for your life? And are you seeing what He wants to do through your life, through the body of Christ? 
Are we here in one accord? When they were with one accord in one place, verse 2, And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. These guys, they spill out onto the streets. They're accused of being drunk. Now, you can't say that they were rolling around legless because our view of what drunk would be is very different to what theirs would have been. Trust me on that. It's just what it... They weren't drunk slurring their words. They were drunk because they were being ecstatic. They were being... They were were speaking so quickly and it was only nine o'clock in the morning. That's the time where you work. It's not where you just start spruiking about the goodness of God in other languages that they don't understand. These people are drunk. Not drunk as you suppose. They are just filled with the Holy Spirit. What happened? Let me say to you, those 11 disciples were in that room and they all spoke in tongues. They all received the gift of the Holy Spirit and they all prophesied of God. Acts 1.8. Why am I saying all of this? Why am I saying all of this? Acts 1.8, the very words of Jesus. This is the purpose of the Holy Spirit. And I want to make this clear to us. Because as young people, and I know we're all different ages, but I'm speaking directly right now to the young people. If we don't understand who the Holy Spirit is, we can get carried away into things that are not the Holy Spirit. All right? We've got to understand what is the purpose of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus gives us one of his purposes when he says in Acts 1.8, But you shall receive power... When the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The specific word Jesus gives to his disciples is about the power to share the gospel in an effective manner. Now, we understand that the Holy Spirit is our paraclete or he's our great comforter and he will comfort us in our times of need and our stress. He will come to us. He will reveal the fruit of the Spirit in our life. He will bring joy and love and patience and peace and kindness into our lives. He does that because that's what he is and that's what he does. And they are the life flow of the Holy Spirit coming out of us. But let me say this. I'll give you two analogies. This is the best one I've ever heard. It was Pastor Rodney. We're on the missions field in, uh, in um, the Solomon Islands. And he was talking in their context. And he was talking to them about canoes. He's like, your Christian life without the Holy Spirit in this context. I'm not saying that Christians don't, that don't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit don't have the Spirit. They do. We've, we've worked that out. Jesus breathed on them and they have the Holy Spirit. But if you're a Christian that has not been baptized in the Holy Spirit, you're in a canoe and you're trying to paddle against the stream. And it's really hard. Really hard. Because you're doing it in your own strength. And there have been mighty 
feats that have been done by Christians throughout the ages who have done this. I think their reward will be amazing. I, I am blown away with what people have done for the name of God. You only have to reflect on the goodness. But they are doing it and at every moment it seems like a strain. But when the Holy Spirit comes upon you with fire, as Jesus talked about, as John the Baptist talked about of Jesus, when the Holy Spirit came upon them at Pentecost, it was like they strapped a massive 200 horsepower outboard to that canoe and they were off and running. How do I know that? Because the book records that 3,000 people came to Jesus on that one night. 3,000 gave their life to Jesus and 3,000 were baptized into water on that one night. That's what happens when the Holy Spirit can come into your life and it's not, and it's used, he's, he's, he's brought into the context that it's about empowerment for witness. It's about empowerment to share the gospel. It's about empowerment to glorify Jesus and to live after Jesus Christ. It's when the Holy Spirit comes on your life that you're able to then pray for people expecting that they will go, be well. The same Spirit that rose Christ from the dead now lives and dwells, resides within you. That context is the baptism of the Spirit, not the breath of the Spirit that seals us into salvation. And yet churches will fight and argue over doctrine, but yet they're, they're not taking upon their life the Holy Spirit. And I think it's hurting his heart. And I wouldn't want to dare blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Jesus talks about that. The Holy Spirit is given by God to empower us to witness. Who struggles to witness? Let me tell you, when I was baptized with the Holy Spirit, my witness went up. Even though I was ashamed, even though I went through the anxiety, even though, even though, even though, I speak to you now, not because of who I am, because if I was speaking to you as who I am, I'd be at home on the couch eating pizza. I speak to you under the authority and power of the Holy Spirit because He wants to do something in your life. I'm going to invite Cez and Han to come and sing for us. God wants to do something in your life. He wants to empower you with something that maybe, maybe you've already had a taste of. Did you see Ephesians 5.18 talks about this in the context that we be being filled, that we continually be filled we continue to honor the presence of the Holy Spirit. It's this, uh, this, this funny word that, tells, that gives you this, this impression that it's not be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's be being, like actively being filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's available through faith. But you say, Steve, how do I know I'm going to get the Holy Spirit? Because Jesus promised him. And because the Father is a good Father and He's not going to give us a scorpion when we ask for an egg. So how much more is He going to give us the Holy Spirit when we ask for the Holy Spirit? Oh, but Steve, how do I know it's the Holy Spirit? You'll know it's the Holy Spirit. You'll know if God's touching your life. And it won't be because you're seeing gold dust fall from the sky. And it won't be because you hit the deck and you can't control yourself because the Holy Spirit's a perfect gentleman. You see, I'm after authenticity. I don't want the, the rubbish that happens in Pentecostal churches around the world 
that just seem to glorify the church. I want to see God glorified through his people. You see, the experience of the Holy Spirit is to bring witness to God and to see people saved. The best miracle that could ever happen is someone gives their life to Jesus. And I think the second best thing that could ever happen to their life is that they receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit. How about we stand to our feet? I'm not going to pray for you. I don't believe it's right that I pray for you tonight. If you want prayer, I will offer, we will pray with you. There's no issue there, but I'm not going to call you out to pray. Because the scripture says, if you ask, if you ask, not Steve, no way, not Jamie, not Han, not Angus. He can't ask on your behalf. You have to ask. You have to desire the gift of the Holy Spirit. Like I said, it's not an issue of salvation, but it's an issue of effectiveness. It comes down to, are you going to win two people to Christ or are you going to win 200 to Christ? Hmm. See, that was the numbers. 3,000 in one day because of the gift of tongues, because of the gift of the Holy Spirit, because God was upon them with fire and they burned for God. Do you burn for God? If you don't, maybe let's just close our eyes right now and just ask God. Let's pray. Father, I want to burn for you. I want to burn for you. I don't, want to, I don't want to be hidden in my little church. I don't want to be at home on my lounge, Lord God, eating pizza and getting fat. I want to burn for you. I want my life to burn for you. I acknowledge, Lord God, that you are the giver of good gifts. You give good gifts. You will not give me a snake when I ask for a fish. There is no way you would give me a stone if I asked you for bread. Lord, I ask right now for the Holy Spirit. I ask for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I ask to speak in tongues a perfect language, O oh God, that is between my spirit and yours. Lord God, that only you can understand, that edifies my spirit and edifies my soul. God, I pray, Lord God, that the gifts of all of the Holy Spirit would come into my life. That every one of those nine gifts, Lord God, would be evident in me. Lord God, let it not just be about tongues, but let it be about interpretation. Lord God, let it not just be about interpretation, but let it be about prophesying and prophecies that are real, prophecies that are right, prophecies that come from your Spirit, that only your Spirit would know. There would be words of knowledge and wisdom, words of knowledge that would see people given their lives to Jesus because of what you are doing in our life. Words of knowledge, Lord God, that would help us to unravel the intricate secrets of a person's life that your Spirit can work on and lead them to conviction and to come to salvation by faith. God, I want to burn for you. I want to burn for you, Lord, and I don't want to do it in my own strength. I don't want to paddle upstream anymore. I don't want to put the foot down, Lord God, and see that it goes only to 100 kilometers an hour. But Lord, I want to flick the switch and I want to see the NOS go into those injectors. I want to hit 250 miles an hour for you, God. Lord, I want to do it not in my own strength, but I want to do it in the strength that the Holy Spirit provides. Lord, and I want to do it knowing that it's the Spirit of God in my life and it's not me manipulating. I want an authentic encounter with you, God. God, I hunger and I thirst for righteousness and I know that I am filled in Christ Jesus. But I hunger and thirst to burn for you even more. 
Because, Lord God, I want to move on from the elementary things of faith. Yes, they are foundational. Yes, they are who I am. Yes, it's all about that in me. But, Lord God, there are people that are dying and going to hell. And they need the message of the Holy Spirit and God and Jesus Christ. That He is three in one. Lord, we want to burn for You. We want to burn for You. We want to burn for You. As You are a thrice holy God, Lord God, we want to be thrice burning for You. Everything that we do, Lord God, we want to do for You. Lord, we ask now, if You ask, if this is Your prayer, then I'm not even looking, so don't think You're doing it for me, doing it for God. I want You to raise both hands to heaven. And I just want You to say this after me. God, I believe in God the Father. I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe in the Holy Spirit. My God is three in one. I don't want to emphasize one or the other. I want to emphasize the fullness that is God most high. Lord, I thank you for the cross. I thank you for the revelation that I am saved by grace through faith. I thank you that Jesus died for me, that he shed his only blood for me, and that my sins have been washed and cleansed, and I stand holy and righteous and redeemed before you now. But Lord, as a holy citizen in your kingdom, I ask for the Holy Spirit. I ask for the Holy Spirit and nothing less. I ask for the Holy Spirit and I want an authentic encounter with you, God. Lord, I want you to touch my life that I could be a vessel of worth, that my life would be about the gospel and the gospel alone. Lord God, I ask for the Holy Spirit And I expect the Holy Spirit and nothing less. As Ezekiel was told to prophesy to the wind, I prophesy to the wind now. The breath of life to come into my life. The breath of the Holy Spirit to enter my life now. And I believe I receive in the name of Jesus Christ. Having believed, having received, right now what is happening in your heart, what is happening in your spirit, there is something that is stirring there right now. And let me say that is the Holy Spirit and you need to let that out. Begin to move your mouth. Begin to say, God, I love you. And then switch off from your English and let your spirit speak. God, you are God most high. What is happening in your spirit is authentic. It is real. It is not an experience. It is the Holy Spirit. That is the prophetic word of God to you right now. Let it go. Speak in the gift of tongues. It is your prayer language that God has given you. And as you minister to God in that gift, You will be inspired. You will stand up and you will share the words of God. Thank you, God, that you are strapping upon us now the power to witness, the power to bring conviction, the power to share the gospel in an effective way, Lord God, that people will come to know Christ. And the experience that I'm having now, Lord God, I believe that I can share that with those that I lead to Christ. That they will not only receive salvation, but they will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And they too, Lord God, will step into the fullness of what you have for them. Stir it up. Stir it up. The Holy Spirit is in you. The Holy Spirit is now upon you. If God was here, if the, if the disciples were here, If Luke was here, this is how he would record it. Above you right now are flames of fire. They are gifts of tongues that are upon your life. And right now, God is touching your life and he's giving you that gift. 
He is giving you that gift. It is the gift of His Spirit. Receive, receive, receive. God, you are good. God, you are good. God, you are good. You are good, Lord. Father, I don't want our witness to be about us. There is no way I want to stand in the way of that. There is no way I want to stand in the way of someone else and their salvation. So, Lord God, let your Holy Spirit come to the fore in our lives so that they would see Christ and not me. Because it is the revelation of the Holy Spirit that reveals the risen Christ who reveals people to salvation. God, you are good. You will use us. Use us, Lord. Use us, Lord.